Hello, everyone. Welcome back. This is Chander in Palo Alto. And this is Arna in Oslo. Hi, Arna. Yeah, today, it's really hot, just to make you jealous. I think it's 80 right now <laughs> in Palo Alto. Well, so I can um, be consistent with the last two months. It's raining in Oslo. <laughs> oh, well, you'll have to come and visit us. Absolutely. So today we are going to talk about this topic, which is again based on feedback from one of the listeners. So there is some anticipation, worry, or idea among the entrepreneurs that, or among, I think, everybody, that there may be a downturn around the corner in the economy uh, because it's been expanding for over a decade. So I thought we'd talk about, you know, what the current state of macro things, and we obviously can predict uh, when the downturn will happen, but eventually at some point in our life it'll happen. There, and, there, is a, there is a downturn around the corner, we just don't know where the corner is. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then see how it impacts startups. Uh, what would you have to do differently when there is a downturn? So I think most of the startups that are our listeners, uh, they were started after 2009. So they may not have seen a downturn. So both Arne and, have, uh, and I have seen at least two. One in 2001, the dot-com bust, and then in 2008 the asset bubble bust so things changed drastically uh and our neighborhood have a vc perspective and i'll have the entrepreneur perspective uh how does that sound arna it sounds good okay so let's not 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 the downturn itself but <laughs> yeah <clears throat> so let, let's start with you on how do you see the current economic environment? You know, why, why, or let's explain to people why do you think there might be a downturn around the corner? We don't know where the corner is, but why is that thinking there? Why do people think that? Yeah, so I, I think that, um, you know, first of all, we're in the longest uh, stock market bull run in the history of the stock market. So I don't know how many were like at 125 or 120 consecutive quarters of, of bull run in stock market. Uh, and it's also been a recession free period. And a recession is when there's a negative growth two quarters in a row. Yep. So just, just by sort of statistical uh, basis, it should be coming soon because things don't last forever in, in the market type of thing. <clears throat> the, the other thing, if you look at more the fundamentals of it, is that, you know, we've had this bull run because uh, since the financial crisis of 2009, it has been low interest and there's been cheap capital. And cheap capital has been both 
you know, direct in that there's been money injected into the economy and secondarily through tax breaks, particularly in the US, which has sort of driven this. Mm. But how long can you drive that? And, I, uh, and, and that's another question. And so there's been sort of, you know, some stumblings and warnings of recession for a while. So like I say, in Norway, we had like a, like a mini local event in 2014 when there was like an oil crisis. That was like um, people in the oil industry lost their jobs in 2014, which is actually good for the startup, start, startup ecosystem because talent was released. But uh, uh, all the venture capitalists were uh, waiting for a downturn in late 2016, early uh, sort of 15, early 16. Didn't really come. Mm -hmm. Then Trump was elected, and the U.S. sort of uh, fueled the economy with with, with uh, tax breaks, uh, which has sort of kept kept uh, new money coming in. And then there's been like uh, a few sort of warning shots around trade war. So the market has been more volatile since early 18 until today. Every time, you know, the trade war is rearing its ugly head again. So this, there's like these warnings all the time. And the last warning is, is sort of the, you know, the clash between Silicon Valley and Wall Street, where the poster child of that clash is is we work and failed ipo there and you know there's sort of like there's an inflated bubble in the tech industry this has to stop and can that break it down so there's all these warnings of things happening but yet it hasn't really materialized but it makes people nervous when you look at all these warning signs in addition to sort of the length of the bull market mm -hmm. <clears throat> so why do you think uh, the bull market doesn't last forever? You said it's been, you know, 120 quarters or something. Not 120, but I don't know. Whatever you said. The, it basically, yeah. for the last 10 years, the stock market is going up and the economy is growing. So, and we have seen in the past, it doesn't last that long. There's always a downturn. Uh, the economic expansion is not continuous. Uh, it's a boom and bust cycle. So why does that happen? Well, you know, either, you know, one, one instance is that there's, there really is a bubble, right? Something unhealthy in the market. And when it becomes apparent, the market pops. That's one way of, you know, uh, making this happen. Um, the other thing is that there could be just some event, right? where uh you know some war or an earthquake or something yeah essentially shakes the economy mm -hmm. uh so that's another one i think i think now i think part of it is that it's it's sort of been running a long time on on an artificial stimuli right government injections and and tax cuts mm -hmm. and particularly the the deficit the us is running now is just <laughs> bigger than ever and, and just completely massive right mm -hmm. and and you know and and even the you know the president is bullying the fed to keep the interest rate low mm -hmm. and and so you know if i were to be a betting man i would say the current president will bully the economy to stay turning until the president ele presidential ex election to to 
to, to get reelected. But, you know, if I were to bet, you know, it's something around the election time in the U.S., which, which is about a year in, in the future. But, you know, there could be any event happening before that, and I could be completely wrong. So I'm, I'm not a betting man. I'm just saying if I were. I thought that's the whole job of venture capitalist. Yes. <laughs> betting but <you> man. Bet, <laughs> yes, but you, but you bet on things you know. Uh, mm-hmm. And I'm not a macroeconomist. No. So where do you see bubbles today? Like what asset class or any investment class has bubble? Well, I, I think it's it's fair to say that there is a bubble in 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 uh, in parts of the of the tech tech industry, and I and I think the WeWork example is a, a good example. Um. Uh, <clears throat> I, th- I have the opposite view on that. It's uh, I we talked about this that you know WeWork is not worth the valuation, but it's the market working and you know bringing the valuations down for WeWork, Uber, Lyft, all the unicorns we have discussed on our podcast, and we talked about how they are overvalued. So market, you know, is working. They're bringing them down. The private valuations are basically agreement between two parties, the founder, CEO, and the leading venture firm. So that doesn't really reflect the market. But you, I would agree, okay, in that class, let's say unicorn, they're overvalued. But the public uh, and, markets, I don't see that. Now, yeah, no, so I, I think, I, you know, um, I think the unicorn class is also not a a uniform bag. I think there's a big difference in that bag. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, and, and then I think, you know, once again, it's, uh, I, I think the large tech companies to some extent can defend it by, you know, being healthy businesses. Uh, the, the question is, is there some sort of asset class out there that is, you know, not on our radar? And, you know, so the last time it was the housing market and, well, there was a lot of things going on in the financial markets. And I think certainly there, once again, there are, uh, you know, real estate markets in the world that are, you know, a little bit uh, higher than at least the long-term normal. So, uh, you know, I, once again, the, the, the depth of where are the bubbles, uh, I would not be the right person to, but I, I just see it in pockets of the tech industry. Whereas I also think that the tech industry is definitely very different from what it was in the dot-com uh, because in dot-com it was all slideware and now there's actually real revenues, but it's a mixed bag as to whether there's uh, profit in unit economics. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> um, okay. So, since both of us are not macroeconomists, <laughs> we shouldn't get uh, deeper into that. The listeners would be more interested in if the downturn happens or when that happens, because many of them didn't go through that. What changes in the market? How does the world change around you? Uh, so uh, we'll start with you, but one more thing I want to mention what has happened in the last 10 years is a lot of the hedge funds, how their compensation is based or 
existence is on beating the S&P 500 index. And right. most of them are not beating that. So many of them are closing down. And so a lot of money that was going into hedge funds is now going into private equity or venture. So there's more money, like you, SoftBank is one example, but there are many other examples how more money is going to private equity and venture is a subset of private equity. So that is, I think, the availability of a lot of money might be driving these, you know, uh, overvaluation of uh, unicorns or some unicorns. Yeah, that's obviously the case because, um, you know, uh, an effect of interest rates being low in general, right? And in parts of, of the world, it's even negative interest rates, right? Is that it's really hard to come by any return on capital anywhere. Mm -hmm. and, and so that's why private equity hedge funds, any sort of alternative investment class is being pumped up in search of finding a return somewhere. Uh, and so there's just, the, the world doesn't actually lack capital today, but capital lacks returns. And then it just goes to whatever you think is the best option for having returns, which causes inflation in that market. Mm -hmm. and, and that's the effect we're seeing. But we are, we are not seeing any inflation in the US. Uh, no, no, I'm, I'm saying inflationary, inflation in prices in those assets in those specific classes. So for example, ah, okay, okay. of, 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 yeah. of okay. companies. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So let's now let's move to the, how, what changes in the world when there is a downturn? Yep. From a startup point of view, like how does the market change? Yeah. So, um, you know, in a, in a um, downturn or a recession, uh, cash becomes king again. Uh, now, uh, at least in pockets of the market, cash is easy to come by and there's lots of it. And in a downturn, uh, simply few are investing, fewer customers are spending, and so it's just harder to make a buck or raise a buck. Um, and things start to take more time. It's just a less liquid market. Um, and depending on how, uh, um, yeah, and, and, and that also obviously impacts the, both the funding and the exit market for companies. Uh, and, and also the cyclical investors leave the market. So these are, you know, in the current market, you know, you have, family offices playing in direct investments. You have a growing number of corporate VCs. Uh, you have hedge funds and everything, you know, coming in to play in this market that typically is the domain of venture capital firms or growth funds or so forth. And, and they tend to leave in these times, which, you know, is, is definitely bad for capital availability, although it's not only negative in the sense of bringing some level of equilibrium back to the market. And, uh, and then if you're fundraising, the, the terms tighten, the rounds go down, the valuations go down, um, and, and so forth. Um, 
corporates don't buy, so the M&A slows down, the IPO window closes. Um, and, and, and sometimes even existing investors for a company look to bring liquid positions to markets to sell their shares in, in companies. Now, this is very hard in the US particularly because of regulation uh, companies or shares in, in private companies are less liquid, surprisingly, in the US than they are in, for example, Nordics, where there are more secondary transactions. But like if you have um, investors in your company who look for liquidity, they can cause havoc by trying to, you know, um, sell shares at the wrong time. Uh, which can cause havoc to, to a company. And, and all of this sort of negativity around uh, the market and the, the fact that it's hard to raise and hard to sell, uh, then that means that oftentimes there's an effect around having to cut costs on that. Yeah. Those are all the bad things, yeah. if you like, about a, a downturn or a recession. Mm-hmm. So let me add more granularity to these, what you call bad things. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so uh, I separate them in two categories, you know, the consumer and the businesses. Right. In the consumer world, people start to worry a lot about their job uh, because, you know, there, uh, there are less jobs available it becomes difficult to switch jobs so people worry more in general in a downturn and then when they worry more about the job they spend less so the consumer confidence goes down so you know instead of let's say phil's coffee you drink starbucks coffee or uh, basically you spend less wherever you can you don't go on a big holiday to France, you may go to, you know, uh, Monterey. So basically spending declines. So people worry more and spend less. And then you see, okay, how, uh, how based on the startup you're doing, how, how does that affect you? If people, that behavior change occurs, how does that affect your startup? So you have to think about that. Then in the business world, I think there are more drastic changes I've seen firsthand. Uh, there are hiring freezes, meaning you can't hire anybody. Uh, uh, there are travel freezes. You get to ha have to get approval from like some three levels above to go anywhere. Uh, the, all the growth initiatives where the money was going for the company to grow, you know, let's say you're you have an innovation division or you have all these projects which are about revenue growth, they, they're usually shut down. And the focus becomes on generating cash and keeping the core business running and getting more out of it. So depending on your you know, place in the value chain, you pay your vendors later, you know, instead of 30 days, you change it to 90 days, Basically, you're trying to keep cash. And then all the, let's say, what I call improvement projects, they, they get deprioritized. So for example, if you are an enterprise that is a Skype user and 
you can get you know switch off skype and let's assume get zoom for the same price or even lower price that project will probably shut down uh, or if you are microsoft team user and you want to move to slack so these are all ux related things that employees like and they're somehow efficient uh, improve efficiency somewhat uh, all these improvement projects shut down so if you are slack or you know uh, uh, zoom type company uh, you have to see how you will do things differently uh, in downturn. Uh, so those are the changes I've seen the companies make. Yeah, can I can I just say first thing is that I agree with you, and the second thing is that it's a very funny and Silicon Valley centric uh, view of a downturn that. Times are so bad, you have to switch from Phil's Coffee to Starbucks. Mm -hmm. that, that is what I'm providing. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm providing silicon. <laughs> Where yes. Starbucks is the cheapest coffee in Palo Alto. <laughs> yes, it's very, it's very funny, but it, it's very funny, but it doesn't necessarily translate well. <laughs> uh, uh, Times are so bad, we have to drink Starbucks. Yeah, or make coffee at home. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but the general idea, the point was, people worry more and spend less money, and this is one way of spending less money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Good. Can okay. I also bring a slightly positive angle to this? Yeah. So when I talked about it, I talked a lot of you know a lot about the bad things that happen during a a downturn or a recession. Mm -hmm. There are actually some positives as well, mm -hmm. and um, one is that there is less competition. So um, th that includes uh, you know there are fewer. Um, new companies that spring up and try to compete for the same customers that you do. Mm -hmm. um, there are fewer competitors trying to hire the really talented people that you're trying to hire or retain. And retaining might be as equally important uh, point here. And the competition is so so it can it can even materialize itself in in very you know specific ways to so say you know you're acquiring customers through google adwords there are less businesses bidding for the same adwords right so it can be very tangible less competition in 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 multiple ways so that is you know if you're there uh, uh other people might be prevented from being there uh, i i also think that there are opportunities in a market like that, but they're more like opportunities if you can save your customers money. That is a good proposition in the downturn because mm -hmm. they might be looking to shed cost. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think that it's somewhat leveling the global playing field, right? So one of the things you hear from like Nordic startups is how can we compete? 
because like this company in Silicon Valley just raised $50 million uh, and, you know, here in our market, you can only raise, you know, $4 million or whatever. Mm-hmm. That difference becomes much smaller in a uh, downturn. Um, and, and actually, it, it turns out that um, history has proven that some of the best companies are, are started in, or most successful startups have been started in downturns. Um, assuming you can sort of stay lean and find your way you know, out of it. So Google was started in, in the downturn, the dot-com area. No, they Airbnb. were started in like in ni- mid nineties. D- no, no, it happened afterwards. Google but anyways, started. Uh, no. um, well, let's 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 check that. And Airbnb, anyway, was started during the financial crisis mm-hmm. uh, of two thousand eight, two thousand and nine. So, so there are opportunities in in these markets, and also, so one of the one of the things that is sort of the, the theory behind why good companies are started in bad times uh, is that, um, is that uh, you know, it's the true entrepreneurs who, who sort of stick through those days and, and just have to start companies anyway. Whether that's the, the real fact or not, I don't know. But, but there is a history for starting good companies in bad times. Yeah, uh, well, I don't think there is a causation for that. There may be some correlation, but... Uh, if everybody starts doing that, there is less availability of capital. Anyway, that that's the different discussion. Yeah, yeah, but but it also is clear that not everybody does that. That's exactly the point. Yeah, but if they listen to our podcast, they might do it. But the, your point is well taken that there's less competition in downturn. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I just looked. So officially, Google was incorporated on September fourth, nineteen ninety-eight. Yeah, uh, but they only raised serious money later. So they were late to the game and uh, and came through. Sort of was a success through the dot com uh, when Alta Vista and all these other ones failed. Uh, the official starting is usually before the incorporation date, like months before a year. But anyways, that's not the point. Uh, okay, so that was the positive thing. So now let's say there is a uh, downturn might happen at some point. H- how should the startup prepare for that? Like what can they do today? Uh, that'll help them, um, you know, get through that downturn. Yeah, so, so I think about it two ways. One, one is what to do now uh, if you suspect, if a company, if you or the market suspects that a downturn is coming, what can you do now to sort of be resilient and be prepared? And the other is, what can you do when it hits, sort of after yeah. the fact, mm-hmm. right? Those are two different things. Yeah. Uh, but I think, you know, if I were to say there's a cardinal rule here, which is for 
both good and bad markets is build great businesses solving real problems, right? Uh, because the bigger the problem you solve, the bigger need it is even in the bad market, right? Uh, it, it is sort of a cardinal rule and it might not be super uh, actionable, but it's something to keep in the back of your head when you should start a business anyway, right? Mm-hmm. But but uh, if you go to be sort of more um, uh, more uh, you know specific about it in, in actionable terms, I, you know one thing to do is to raise money now, right, and raise more money uh, than you know twelve months or whatever, so that it brings a, a true runway like twelve to four. 24, uh, sorry, 18 to 24 months, if that is possible, right? So money in the bank is clearly a solution for weathering a downturn. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so that's, I, th- I think that's, um, uh, that is, is one clear. The other is, is just being prudent with whatever cash you have, right? And typically, you know, the lever you have is how many people you hire um, and, and try to stay efficient. So if you suspect a, a recession coming, uh, it's, uh, if you have like a very aggressive plan to grow, maybe dial it down a little bit. Uh, so it's not like outspend to get to scale. It's about building a sensible, sensible pace to be robust. And so that's, uh, you know, more a, um, you know, being efficient rather than going all out type of approach to it. And the big lever you have typically is, is hiring and market expand. Yeah. Well, and don't, you know, spend too much money in a <laughs> fancy real estate office and log yourself in a long-term lease. Yeah. Yeah, um, I think uh, so. This these sort of facts are you know out there in a number of publications and blogs and and uh, and so forth. But um, I, I you know I also like you know how you can you know your marketing story is sort of um, tailored to you know customer needs, but they're also tailored to market conditions, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and you can have like a, uh, a messaging uh, for a downturn ready, which, you know, is, is much clearer on the propositions around, uh, you know, saving customers money by implementing it that might resonate more in, in a market like that. And and that doesn't actually cost anything to to prepare beyond the time to to prepare it essentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. I agree. They should raise as much money as they can, even if that the risk you're taking is you know one. If you can, you may be giving away more equity than you want, but that may be worth taking. Um, so that's one second I think it's hard to slow down when you see the market is growing and you are growing and you can grow more 
by spending money or hiring people. That's tough to do on based on anticipation or this, oh, well, there may be downturn. It, so that is really hard to do because you're, compa- you're competing. And if you do it, others don't, then you would lose out. Uh, so it, that... You will lose out if you're wrong about the recession coming, right? So if you're in an arms race. Yeah, um, it's, it may come in three years. You may be dead by then. So, but right. you can't time it. So like it's been coming for five years, five years, since five years, I've been hearing it's coming. (laughs) So So I think that's hard to do. Uh, And I wouldn't do it. Like if I'm running it based on what I would do is, you know, raise more capital. So you are uh, the risk. You already took the risk raising more than um, you need. So that means you gave up more equity or who knows, whatever terms you agree with. And then second, I would do start doing this, uh, what's commonly known as ZBB, that's zero-based budgeting. So generally, when you look at your business, depending what stage you're in, you know, you, a lot of companies do increment. Oh, the revenue is growing this much, and, you know, let's add, uh, increase cost in relation to revenue. The ZBB method is more account. It's an accounting method. It's more around starting from scratch every budgeting period. It may be quarter, year, whatever you have, and justifying all expenses, and then have a contingency plan. Like have, you know, understand the costs. Like this is the core you cannot touch. You need it, and this is you know adjacent to the core. So if downturn happened, this is what I will do to reduce cost and increase uh, cash flow. And third, like you mentioned, you know, how your messaging will change. Maybe you are leading with better UX story today. You may have to lead with cost saving story in downturn. So those are the three things I would do. Uh, raise more capital, uh, do CBB, and then understand where how the cost messaging I can change when there is downturn. So be prepared. Yeah. So you know you said the you know the growth, you know betting on growth or adjusting your growth trajectory is hard. But to be honest, for a lot of companies, raising a bunch of money is hard as well, right? Mm-hmm. And particularly if you're in an early stage unpredictable company, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if you're a big company with a very predictable, uh, you know, set of metrics, even if that were to change in a, in, in a downturn, you know, raising more money and being less focused on exact valuation and so forth is much easier. But the earlier you are, the harder it is to, to, to raise a long runway, right? Because you're still in an experiment stage. So it yep. depends a little bit on, 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 on the context. Yeah, I, th- I think I think uh, you know I think your your advice is all sound. Uh, one one um, so I I went to the um, to the Saster conference in February this year, and at that time there was a lot of talk about recession. Then so it, there's been this chapter about recession, and as you you know rightly pointed out, you can't you can't time it, and we're now six months after that, and it hasn't hit right. Mm-hmm. But anyway, because it was a big topic. 
Um, one of the main presentations at Saster is Bessemer's, Bessemer Ventures presentation every year about the cloud index. And they had the cloud index, which in itself is an interesting presentation, but they also had uh, a section of that presentation be um, called Make Your Company Resilient. And that was sort of their theme in, in, in anticipation of this downturn. And um, now, once again, I think this is for, uh, for uh, more mature companies, but they presented what they called the GRIT framework. And GRIT was, you know, make sure you have growth. Now, every startup I know is looking for growth, so that's not really rocket science, uh -huh. uh, but of course. And the R was for retention. So uh, retention is great because it doesn't necessarily, if you just focus on it and you do the right things, it's both a growth lever, uh, lever because, uh, you know, if, if your customers buy more, you know, you provide a lot of value, you grow your customer accounts, but it's also looking really well after your customer is a resilience uh, lever. So, so I think I think that's that was like the number two. Then the I was I can't even remember what the I the, the word they used for it was, but it was essentially funding longer, just like we talked about. And the T uh, um, was attached to some other, but essentially it was about efficiency. And the way they say, well, what you need to look out for for efficiency is essentially your uh, net new ARR over your net burn and and that ratio has to be as high as possible to be resilient for a downturn so that's sort of the the four dimensions they put forward and i can share the we can share the the, the link to this particular presentation yeah uh, if it's so yeah. interest yeah yeah of course we can share that um it's uh you're right it depends on the stage you're in of course i think yeah. the examples i gave are post series a when you have you know you have customers people are using a product but in the pre series a where if you're still experimenting or you haven't found product market fit there are trials going uh, then it's tricky you can't really you know how do you survive long enough to raise the next round? It's not like, oh, because you can't really raise Series A until you have something to prove or show. And if downturn happens, so you can't really follow that advice. Okay, let me just raise, you know, I was going to raise 4 million, but now let me raise just, you know, 12 because there might be downturn. <laughs> it yeah. won't happen. So I no. think the examples I gave are uh, applicable to where you have momentum and you have the you have the capacity to raise money. Uh, I, I think I think the the point around you know uh, what messaging do you use is appropriate more or less regardless of of your stage of your company, assuming you ha have the ability to to focus that way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what would uh you know early stage startup do differently today you you would you would uh adjust your your value proposition and you would be much more 
diligent about whatever cash you have uh, and don't uh, fool yourself around how easy it is to raise funding and, and sort of ramp. Mm. Uh, and I think, I think if you were to, you know, if you were to say, today I start a company, I'm going to be bootstrapped for the first year and I'm not going to make any money anyway. The best mm. time you can do that is during a recession. Because that's the maximum benefit you can get of the lack of a competitive situation. Because you're not losing any time when nobody else is going after it, right? Yeah. And if you're not, if you're not going to fundraise or have customers in the air, the recession is going to be over, or at least you're going to be on the way out of it by the time you're ready for the market, right? So that's just getting a head start. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's also... If you're making a product that's kind of this, let's say it's for B2B improvement product, you will have tough time. Um, because if you, they were go, somebody's going to buy it, uh, they won't. Uh, so then you may have to think of a new business model, maybe you know, create something freemium where they don't pay anything for a few months. So, uh, they start using it, so you get inside somehow, uh, or you may have to pivot because uh, you have to switch to something where people are willing to pay so you can raise the next round. Like the goal, I think this is a common misperception I found in the startup world. It, the goal in early stage is to raise the next stage. Like that's the life line of the company. If you don't have capital, you don't have people, and then you can't really spend money on marketing or do anything. So you may have, you know, you should be customer focused, of course, otherwise you cannot build good products. But the goal is not to get a revenue deal with the customer. The goal is to raise Series A. So now you have to do whatever it takes to get to the next round. If you can raise Series A somehow, you know, with people not using your product, you're still developing it, then keep doing that. But if the goal is, you know, if you cannot, then switch to something, maybe temporarily, maybe on the adjacency of what you're doing, but you have to be able to get more money, otherwise you don't survive. Well, I only partially agree with you on that, but but I think it's more semantics or or the way to think about it. I, you know, I think yes, you will make break even on the first customer, or and you might need that funding. But I think ultimately, the main dimension or one of the main dimensions you're going to be judged by is your customer traction anyway. And if you don't have that, you're not fundraising anyway. Then it's just a so so. I think. You know, because that's one of the, you know, I don't know any fast growing, uh, super fast growing company with good unit economics that are not able to raise money. I do know a bunch of companies who speak a lot to investors, but not to customers who don't. Mm -hmm. It's, I can introduce you to some, you can fund them, which are going there just in the wrong category or uh, so it it happens but we, it's uh, again causation 
where do you, you have to understand, you know, be in conversations with the Series A investors, what it would take to raise. Uh, if you just go, okay, you may sign a deal with a customer and, you know, there are no users and then you don't get the funding. So you're dead. So that you need capital for survival. So you, that is the main goal. Now you, of course, I mean, if you're not customer focused, you can't really make good products. So that's kind of given. It's like, we don't talk about, you know, what's required for survival, oxygen. Yes, of course it's necessary, you can't breathe. Um, so it, what I found is sometimes people are so focused on, I want to make customer happy because that's what they read. You can make the customer happy and not get funded and you're dead. So I'm not saying make customers unhappy. <laughs> I'm saying understand the goal. The goal is to raise the next round. And you may have to give the product away, delay revenue recognition. Uh, you know, they may value, uh, you know, daily active users more, depending on what the company is. So understand what KPIs they're looking for and work yeah. towards that. I, I agree with that. I'm just saying that a lot of those KPIs are around customer revenue or uh, activity or engagement or whatever. Yeah. But it's, you know, it's very tricky, Arna. You In the pre-CD state, you're talking to a lot of customers. You have all these engagements and you're waiting for somebody to bite and sign. And, no, and you're very customer focused, you're delivering what they want, but you're not gonna get funded because you're in engagement with 10 customers. Uh, and maybe there are VCs who say, okay, you are in trial with three, one of them will bite, so okay, that's fine. So you're worth X, Y, Z. So you, you understand what it would take to raise capital and do that. Yeah? Yep, yep. Uh, okay, so then I think the hardest thing in a downturn is firing people or doing layoffs. Uh, you reduce cost, so you know, the, as Arna said earlier, cash becomes king or, uh, so you, you were previously, let's say, spending a lot of money in acquiring customers. You didn't pay as much attention to customer acquisition cost, but now you'll have to start paying attention to that. Uh, then how do you reduce the burn? So you reduce the burn, you know, there are two variables basically, you know, uh, marketing and people. So you have to go through this hard decision of people you vetted and you know interviewed 20 people, hire one, train them, they sold them your vision, and now you have to tell them that you know they don't have a job. So what <laughs> that's really, really hard thing to do. Um what do you suggest Arna to people who have to do that um, well I mean you you got to do what you got to do 
but you have to be very sensitive about how you communicate it and explain it really well. Um, uh, but I think, you know, now we're beyond the point where, you know, we're talking about how do you make a company resilient. We're in, we're in the fact that, you know, we're being hit by this recession mm-hmm. and I was going to raise money whatever or the customer is going to buy but you know now it's not happening right Mm -hmm. Uh, so you have to be quick taking stock about where are we really what how deep is the doo-doo we're in and then you have to move quickly and resolutely but you have to do it very uh, sensitively but firm Mm -hmm. I I think that's the only way to go about it and like if the doo-doo is not that deep it could be and hopefully be okay we we turn from you know reducing our marketing cost to uh, to you know hit a lower growth rate or surf on whatever revenues we have with whatever uh, uh, you know so you, your growth Arna I can't hear you hello Sometimes the doo-doo is really deep and then you have to cut. And, and if you don't, then you lose your whole team and your company. And that's not good for anyone. And, you know, just uh, be honest and transparent about why, why it is the way it is. Mm. It's, uh, well, it, it's not as easy. You... It, you can't say three months in advance, oh, you know, I'm going to reduce headcount. Then everybody starts looking. So you have to, you know, understand the situation and see when is the right time um, and be prepared. You know, you have to do it fast, but understand prepared meaning who, let's say you have, you know, Three backend people, can you live with one or you absolutely need two? Depending on how your product roadmap will change now, that there is a downturn. So make those calculations and thinking, have that prepared when you have to go through something like that. When you know absolutely you have to do it. But do, you know, you don't have money or you're a star for cash, so you can't give them the employees big severance packages to lower the blow, but you can, you know, vest their options for extra few months, like give some them something so there's goodwill uh, with the employees. And then, you know, of course you explain, people know there's downturn, et cetera, you know, give them references, help them find job, like put that effort into maintaining those relationships. So when things, because you may need them, when things get better, the market goes up. Uh, these people should want to work with you again. Um, so, it, but that's more nuanced on how to actually do the operations of this. But what we can say at a higher level, broader level, is be prepared and be kind to the employees you're letting go and maintain those. Uh, relationships well I, I would agree with that my point before was more that you know fooling yourself into not doing it 
it's worse for everyone. It's worse, you know, because you're then taking down the company, which means everyone goes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, it's, but that's the judgment call the CEO founder has to make because it, you may do it too soon or you may be too late. When is the right time? So you have to have that clear based on, it's a judgment call. It's not something we can give you a formula on. You're talking to the investors, you're talking to the customers, you project, okay, if this continues, this happens. If this doesn't continue, then this happens, et cetera. And what are the alternatives? Can we move, you know, if you're paying vendors, can we renegotiate? So you do all the math and see uh, what is possible because you, you know, ideally don't want to lose the employees, uh, but that's not always possible. And you don't know, (laughs) you can't tell them, you know, I hear that a lot, be transparent. Practically, if you have run a startup, you know, it's (laughs) not that, it's not really possible when you can't share all the thoughts coming to you in your head. Like, you know, in three months from now, you may have to do it, but you don't share that now because then you may, the team may disintegrate. People may start worrying and start leaving. So it's tricky. I agree, but, but you know, you can't do it too soon and you can't do it too late. In my experience, never happens too soon and that's not because i you know i'm of the nature that i want to hire fire people and sort of let let people go early or you know take this lightly the reason why it never happens too soon is that in more or less all the cases i've seen people really want to believe that it's not necessary Mm-hmm. And they really like the people. They want people around, and they don't want to cause them pain. Yeah. And 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 therefore, the, the in more or less all situations I've seen, people are reluctant to do it to avoid that uncomfort and and a painful situation, but the real painful situation, and hope too much, and therefore generally. It, it tends to happen more often too late than timely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. It's because people generally, which is a good thing, I like that human part. Absolutely. It, it comes from the right place, but yeah. it can still cause problems, right? So it should not be taken lightly by any stretch of the imagination, but, but it can also create problems if... You, you know, you don't face up to reality. Yeah, of course. So you have, that's why it's a judgment call. You don't know the timing. No. And what you are saying is more people tend to do it later than sooner. Yeah. And for all the good, good reasons. Yeah. Uh, But you can swing in either direction, but that's where, you know, you are the CEO and founder, you know, you have a board, talk to them, have advisors who have seen all this before. So they, people have seen downturns, uh, they, uh, you know, will give you uh, how to figure that out. Okay, so before we end, Arne, I want you to talk about 
the down round. So let's say you have to raise money, but now the value of the company is lower than the previous round. How do you, what do you advise on how do they deal with that? Because I don't think many people who started after 2009 have seen that. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, so, so let me just start by saying in these tougher conditions, when they happen, generally rounds are smaller and the valuations are lower. And so it's the wrong time to be greedy on valuations because that generally becomes a stumbling block for making it happen. But, but downrods are actually, in my mind, getting more difficult to execute for, for multiple reasons. Um, it, it, they've always been, been sort of hard and they've been hard because they've been, um, you know, so, sometimes there are like, terms in previous rounds that kick in like anti-dilution provisions and that sort of thing which which are complicated and people don't like and and there are people who are going you know people on the cap table who are going to be hit by these anti-dilutions there are also going to be options you know out of money uh which the team will dislike and you might have to to, to fix that to retain the team and all this so these these factors have always been there that makes the down round uh, very hard but but what I've seen a tendency for and particularly I've seen this more in the US than in in Norway in particular even if I haven't been through a recession is that uh, because there's such an abundance of companies to to invest in and down rounds are hard um, you might as well steer clear of them and invest in a company where you don't have to do the hard cleanup work, right? Uh, and so investors tend to just stay, steer clear, even if, you know, there's a, there's a good asset, it's sort of uh, the, the cleanup job is unwanted and therefore people steer clear. So it's really hard to execute a, a, a down round. And I think, um, you know, in those situations, uh, you have to, try to do good craft to make it happen, sell in that it's worthwhile to new investors, that it's worthwhile doing, and you need to do very careful stakeholder management around existing investors and team to uh, make it work, right? And, and that could be that existing investors need to, uh, you know, give up certain provisions they have uh, in preferences or anti-dilution anti that can get in the way of, of making the deal work. Uh, it might be that you have to correct some of the team on the cap table and, and just make, make the mess smaller to even be able to sell it into a new investor. And this is a very tricky uh, exercise to, to package the company to be sellable in a down round. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Get I, I think get advice from somebody who's been through it, uh, and maybe some different um, views on how it can be structured. Yeah, I mean there are bridge loans you can take, so you don't dilute equity. So it depends on so many factors. Existing investors are doing it. Are you bringing somebody new? Um, so. It, 
it's a hard thing to do because the whole training, everybody is trained on things keep on going up. Uh, and it's benefits you and nobody wants to do down round or uh, is happy about it. So there isn't as much I don't know, stuff around it. Uh, so you got to talk to people who have done it before. And also, yeah. yeah to, to be honest, I, you know, I don't like a down round. Uh, nobody likes a down yeah. round. But I also don't like a bridge round in that situation. Obviously, if I'm on the inside of the company, I probably like to get, you know, think that the bridge can can bring us somewhere. But mm -hmm. the problem with a bridge, uh, and a non-equity bridge, mm -hmm. is actually that it's somewhat pushing the problem out uh, to be dealt with later. And and oftentimes you just added to the things you have to fix later. And, and certainly coming from the outside, uh, you know, you just buy risk then because you have an unresolved problem. So I'm not, a, I'm not really all that much of a fan of, of bridging on non-equity. Um, <laughs> just, you know, if you've been in the war, you know that, that there are a lot of, of things that can go wrong in that, in that situation. It, it depends. Yeah, if you have things in pipeline, you know that you only need one more year of runway, then you'll have the metrics, then you can raise at higher value. So you can avoid downtown if you get a bridge. So it, it depends the situation you're in. So that's the judgment call CEO has to make. What is best for the organization, not what is best for the VC. No, no, I understand that. But why would the new investors come in with the bridge? Because, uh, you, you know, you're buying into something unresolved. Um, I'm not saying there could be, there could be uh, you know, some fantastic event mm -hmm. with a high probability in the near future that's being resolved. And you could find some term that, that uh, you know, pays for the, the risk of it not happening in the bridge. Uh, but, but even so, in, in, in most situations, uh, it, it's sort of pushing out the problem. But sometimes it may be in your interest to push out the problem. <laughs> so it, it depends. Yeah. Um, it, you may, you know, sign deals, in that time, reach the KPIs that are expected. So that's the judgment call the CEO makes. So of course, if you cannot solve the problem in the, depending on how long the bridge is, then of course you just push the problem out. Uh, but uh, that again, uh, financially it makes things complicated if it doesn't, the bridge doesn't go anywhere and you still have to do down round. But that's the judgment call the CEO founder has to make. Uh, and I know, but it's also a judgment call the people providing the money on the bridge has to have uh, uh, an opinion on. And I think experienced people will be, uh, experienced investor will be somewhat reluctant in many cases if they know they're, you know, they're buying an unresolved problem and therefore a risk. Yeah. Okay, so we said we'll keep the podcast 
below one hour or less than one hour, I think we just passed it. Uh, but I couldn't hear you for one minute, so we'll discount that. Uh, okay, so thank you very much, everybody, for joining us. Hopefully, we gave you things to think about. You know, hopefully, you never go through a down round and the recession or downturn in economy doesn't happen or if it happens it doesn't affect you that's our hope but if it does happen you have something to think about how to deal with it yeah wonderful thanks arna thanks everybody we'll see you next week have a good evening all right bye bye bye